0: Consumer confidence fell backward, erasing two months of gain in August. Consumers were definitely less optimistic about the future and also the present situation. You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Welcome
1: to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. I'm Steve Oblin from the Conference Board and the host of this series, and in today's conversation, we're going to be discussing the state of the global economy, but first, we're going to look at the brand new data released by the Conference Board on U.S. Consumer Confidence. Joining me today is Dana Peterson, Chief Economist here at the Conference Board. Dana, welcome.
0: Hi, Steve. It's great being here.
1: So, Dana, how are consumers feeling in August?
0: Well, not so great. Uh, Certainly in the U.S., consumer confidence fell backward, erasing two months of gain in August. Consumers were definitely less optimistic about the future and also the present situation. And I think what was most surprising was the fact that expectations had been building over the last couple of months, and then we retreated right back to where we were several months ago.
1: So what was it? I know you asked consumers specifically, what was it that was driving it?
0: Any color commentary on that? The write-ins revealed that consumers were still very concerned about inflation overall, and in particular, food and energy prices, uh, especially gasoline. And we noticed that those prices have been rising in the hard data, and that certainly caused consumers to feel less optimistic, both now and in the future, um, Consumers are also expressing concerns about labor markets and job availability, which is something that is quite new. They've, they've been pretty sanguine in terms of looking at labor markets as something that's been supporting their incomes and their household finances. And it seemed like some doubt crept in in August.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, uh, gas and, and food are pretty low on uh, consumers, Maslow's hierarchy, right? I mean, yeah, you, those are two things you have to have. And if you see any burp in inflation, then- you know, it kind of rattles the markets.
0: It certainly does. And I think that's what we saw in August. And just looking at the JOLTS data, which were also released today, we saw that there are few job openings, fewer job openings than there were, and certainly fewer people are quitting. So that suggests that consumers are starting to take stock. And realize that maybe all the opportunities are, are not out there anymore. And certainly when we asked them about the present situation in terms of jobs hard to get or job availability, uh, both of those measures were less ebullient than in the past.
1: Now, you know, uh, the stock market has stayed really high. I mean, we were within throwing distance of a- an all time high. So markets seem to be shrugging this off. Any thoughts on that?
0: Well, yeah, markets did rally today, <laughs> uh, but I think they were rallying more so on the jolts data than our data because the jolts data was kind of like bad news is good news. So, you know, less uh, froth in the, in, the, in the labor market means potentially the Fed won't hike as much, um, and the markets view that positively. But if we look over the past few months, The stock market is down, and some of that has to do with the fact that we've seen flagging in banking stocks, and banking stocks have not been doing well because of concerns about a redux of the banking crisis. Now, we didn't ask consumers about that, but they do weigh in on what they think stock market uh, prices are going to do going forward. And in general, they said that we think that stock market prices are going to be lower. Meanwhile, interest rates will be higher going forward. Now you didn't see a
1: lot of differentiation by age or demographics this time, did you?
0: No, everyone was unhappy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it was an equal opportunity um consumer confidence month. Any trends that you can parse out of the data, you know, that show where we're going?
0: Some key trends are certainly inflation expectations. They're materially lower than they were before. And that's because both headline and core inflation gauges have come off, Um, headline more so than core. And core excludes food and energy. And we know that energy prices and food energy prices are lower this year than they were last year, and food prices are not rising as aggressively. But what we did see was just kind of the month to month change that were worse than those two indicators. And so we saw an uptick in the inflation expectations gauge for one month, but we need to watch to see if that continues um, other trends are certainly with respect to consumer finances. Um, for two months in a row, consumers have, have have been a little bit less optimistic about their current and future finances, as well as current and, and future incomes. And certainly that's folding in the inflation story, but also the interest rate story. So as I said, consumers think interest rates are going to be rising further, and that's because the Fed has been raising interest rates a lot and it's been affecting mortgage rates and a lot of consumers gauge mortgage rates in terms of how their overall finances look. And certainly it's weighed down the housing market and higher rates are potentially also weighing down purchases of things that you need to finance, especially homes. And when we ask consumers about homes, they continue to say that they're less interested in buying them. Now there's been some mixed news in terms of buying autos and also appliances. Like the six-month trend has been upward for both. But the interesting thing is when we ask consumers about whether or not they want to go on vacation, we've seen some moderation in that desire to go on vacation going forward. But if they do go on vacation, they're looking to go abroad and less so traveling around domestically.
1: Well, as crowded as the planes have been, I don't know why anyone wants to go on vacation. It's a lot less less stressful to stay home. How are consumer balance sheets looking?
0: I mean, that's a good question because consumer balance sheets are much healthier now than they were relative to the post great financial crisis period where consumers and also banks had to clean up their balance sheets and also rebuild them. So in that sense, consumers are okay compared to that period, but uh, we do see uh, trouble ahead. So what are some of those troubles? Well, number one, a lot of the excess savings that consumers had in aggregate was $2.2 trillion after adjusting for inflation. That was kind of the peak. And then in the latest reading in the second quarter, it was down to just $730 billion. So (laughs) $2.2 trillion to $730 billion. And we think that money is basically going to dissipate and run out. In the third quarter. So that means a a really great backstop or cushion that consumers had uh, in the face of elevated inflation and all the woes that came along with the pandemic is disappearing. So that means less uh, capacity to run out there and spend. And we do know consumers who who already use up that that excess savings are using credit cards. So credit card debt has reached a trillion dollars and it's back on the same path that it was before the pandemic, because we know during the pandemic, people did pay down their credit card debt, but they've racked it back up. And what's risky about that is we are seeing delinquencies rise for credit cards. Um, In fact, they're back at the same level that they were in 2019 after them falling. And also, any consumers who are choosing to, to carry a balance are going to have to do so at a much higher interest rate. Indeed, when we look at interest rates for new lines of credit, it's 24%. And for existing lines of credit, the average interest rate is 20%. So it's a lesson that if you're going to carry debt, make sure you pay it every month or at least pay the minimum. Otherwise, you're going to be hit with these very high interest rates. So those are two things that we're watching. And there's a third, but I'll let you get in a question. <laughs> well, no, I, it, it's kind of
1: scary you know, when you lay it out just with those two. I mean, if there's If you can't put on the debt and and you're running out of this this cash cushion that people had, that suggests that maybe consumer spending should start to slow. And that's important because what? It's about 70% of the GDP. So that's kind of scary, isn't it?
0: Well, you can look at it in two ways. Scary in terms of slower consumer spending that leads to a recession, yes, but also consumer spending needs to slow or else the Fed is going to continue raising interest rates and may quote unquote overdo it and result in the economy having a hard landing as opposed to something in the middle between hard and soft. And that soft land, well, that middle point would be a short but shallow recession. And so what I'm also worried about, the scary thing is that this could reflect back into financial markets because, you do have financial institutions that are lending money to consumers, both auto loans, consumer loans, and other types of loans And we're seeing that defaults are rising, and certainly the the charge offs for banks the other than the largest banks are on the rise as well. they've spiked in recent months, so that spells trouble potentially for banks, especially for small and medium sized banks who are also who are continuing to face. Some of the strains of the banking crisis uh, that was sparked earlier this year. So, there are different levels of scariness <laughs> that we see.
1: Yeah. Now, beginning in you know, I guess towards the 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 first part of 2022. So about a year over the last year and a half, we've had you know most CEOs and about 101 percent of economists that have predicted a recession. What are you forecasting now?
0: Sure. So first let's talk about what the CEOs think. So there are roughly 84% or 85% of CEOs in our CEO confidence survey of the biggest companies saying that they still expect a recession. They still expect it to be short and shallow at some point over the next 12 to 18 months. Our view meshes with that, dovetails with that. We do think that there is still likelihood of a recession, again, short and shallow, probably starting in the fourth quarter of this year and early next year. Yes, we keep pushing this out. And mainly it's because we've been seeing, we continue to see surprises on the upside in terms of the labor market and consumption, but there's evidence that the labor market is slowing. Uh, Again, we had the adults data today which show fewer job openings out there, less hiring. Uh, The payrolls data have shifted, downshifted to fewer gains and again most of these gains are being concentrated in the sectors that are having severe labor shortages but that's just maybe a portion that's a portion of the labor market the rest of the labor market is either doing nothing just kind of holding steady holding on to workers or they're cutting and those companies that are holding on to workers they're actually reducing hours and we can see that in the average hourly in the average hours data so You may have a job, but you're not working as much as you were, and that affects productivity, certainly. So we are seeing cooling in the labor market happening. And so that's something that we we definitely can't ignore.
1: So the Fed is targeting this magic two and two, 2% inflation and and 2% plus GDP growth. Where do you think it's going to settle out? Do you think that they'll- They'll be able to get a soft landing. I know we're still forecasting a recession, which would be you know a negative number, but but is it possible that we don't have to go negative?
0: Sure, it's possible to have a soft landing, and I think that scenario is gaining some traction in terms of po- positive probability. The thing is it's it's tough to imagine, but but how could you get there? Well, certainly, if the labor market, if we continue to have firms holding on to labor, and not letting people go, (laughs) regardless of of what happens, and consumers continuing to pile on debt to finance their lifestyles. So you'd need those two pieces to, to come together. You'd also need for businesses to continue investing. And we've seen that businesses have been pulling back on investments in IP and also equipment. The structures piece is a little bit skewed because that's been rising overall but it's all in manufacturing or at least most of it's in manufacturing away from manufacturing businesses are also dialing back on investments and structures and the manufacturing expenditures investments are related to onshoring and reshoring of goods production so and that's a policy related thing but you you essentially have to have businesses not pull back in general And let's not forget that we still have the debt ceiling deal that is going to weigh on growth. Now, we don't know exactly if it's going to start October 1st, which is the beginning of the fiscal year, or if it's going to be smoothed out over the course of several months, but it is going to weigh on the U.S. economy. And the other thing I, I wanted to mention regarding consumers is that student loan repayments, or at least the interest on the debt, are going to begin again a restart in October and that's going to weigh on consumption and it may also weigh on confidence so even for the folks who can pay off the interest it means well you know there's another bill that's back that I didn't have for the last three three to four years and so that's going to eat into my vacation time right or spending on other things that you may want and even some of the things that you need so you have all these pressures building Um, that suggests a slowdown, even if you don't go negative. But the thing is that the Fed does want to achieve a 2% inflation target. Now, does it have to be spot on 2%? Well, maybe they'll be happy with 2.5%. Here's why. The Fed has something called a flexible average inflation targeting regime, which means in, in layman's terms that they're willing to allow A period of inflation that's slightly above 2% to make up for the periods when inflation was slightly below. Now, inflation's been below 2% before the pandemic for for years, very long time. And so they may say, well, we'll be willing, once we get inflation pretty close to target, maybe around 2.5%, that's good enough. It's still consistent with our regime and it's still not that far away from our target. Now, would the Fed accept 3% inflation? I don't think so because the target is two and three is significantly different from two. And they would certainly lose credibility if they say, well, now things are different. You know, Now we're changing our minds about what the target is. And the Fed can't afford to lose credibility because then you'll see a reacceleration of inflation expectations. And if higher prices get embedded in the consumer psyche or the psyche of business executives, then people delay purchases and delay investments, and that weighs on growth. So it's very important to get the actual level of inflation down to make sure that inflation expectations, both by consume by consumers, businesses, and investors, come back to something that would be considered low.
1: Yeah, and I, I, they've been pretty clear that they're not going to stop at three. So I, I I think that's a that's a pretty good forecast. But I I see your point on if you get close to two and a half, they may say, okay, we're not. We don't need to raise it anymore. It'll kind of settle down here and get get close, you know, closer on its own as as things sort of settle out. Because they don't want to create a recession, so they don't want to overshoot. We're talking about the global economy and consumer confidence with Dana Peterson. We're going to take a short break and be right back. Are you ready to transform your business and stay ahead of the competition? Artificial intelligence is quietly reshaping the global economy optimizing manufacturing processes, and transforming how users interact with popular platforms. Harnessing the power of AI can exponentially enhance your business's effectiveness and efficiency. However, navigating the risks associated with this transformative technology is critical. Privacy, integrity, the economy, and humanity are all at stake. That's why the Conference Board is your go-to resource for the expertise and foresight you need to leverage AI to its fullest potential and make strategic moves that propel your business forward. Unlock the possibilities AI offers your business. Visit tcb.org slash AI today to access trusted insights for what's ahead and guidance on navigating the AI transformation. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin from the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by Dana Peterson, the Chief Economist at the Conference Board. But given that, what's our what's your forecast on you know more rate rises? Um, are we finished, or we have another one coming?
0: So the Fed is data dependent, and we think that they still have maybe one more hike left to go, and it'll probably happen in November. So we have three more meetings until the end of the year: September, November, and December. September is a big meeting because that is when they produce their summary of economic projections. These are not forecasts. They're just suggestions of what the FOMC participants think about GDP, inflation, and the labor market, and interest rates going forward. Um, So they may skip that meeting, uh, the September meeting, saying that, look, we're still watching the data. We're still waiting for the long and variable lags to play themselves out and we can afford to wait especially if we continue to see data move in the direction that they desire meaning slower labor market activity less inflation um reduced consumer spending and businesses responding to the fact that you have higher funding costs and also less consumer demand to meet so if all those things are happening ahead of the september meeting then they're fine to wait. But the key thing is that once you get to November and December, you may still see sticky inflation, which may prompt them to say, look, we need one more, one more hike. But it's also very possible that they're done um, and that the data cooperate. If that is the case, whenever the pause happens, the pause will probably be for a good three to six months. Um, that's usually the the average of any pause. It's not a year, <laughs> it's it's pretty quick. And then they'll start lowering interest rates as long as they feel that inflation is still heading in the right direction and that it's going to achieve something very close to the two percent target.
1: Yeah, because there's a lag to all of this. You know, it's not just a switch, as you've said many times before. And you know, an example of that is you know rents, you know, following the you know the real estate market. So you know, they can they can even be they could stop raising and then start the lowering and inflation could still be on the you know on the downswing right as, as yes. well as gdp so
0: all right anything else on the us so for the us i think we need to continue to watch the data very closely both hard data and soft data so in terms of hard data between now and the next fomc meeting we are going to receive two more inflation reports uh, one from the personal consumption expenditure uh, data and one from the consumer price index data. We're also going to receive more reports on the on employment or at least, uh, well, two more reports, ADP and also the BLS report on employment. And then we need to watch uh, the tracking GDP data, such as retail sales and inventories. And inventories are really going to be a big swing factor because there's still... Businesses are still trying to adjust them. You know, they essentially didn't have enough inventory during the pandemic. They stocked up, but then the demand wasn't there. So they have too much. So we need to watch that as well. So I think we also need to watch financial markets and how they are pricing in, how many rate increases and also when the rate cuts will happen as well as watching yield curve activity and the stock market. So these are all things that we need to pay attention to because the Fed is going to be folding all of these pieces into their framework for determining the path for interest rates going forward. All right.
1: So that's a lot um, on the US. Let's just take a, a brief look at uh, the rest of the world. What's the outlook for Europe?
0: So the outlook for Europe is still for very modest growth, a very a tepid recovery and high inflation. And the thing is that Europe already more or less experienced something that felt like a recession, even if the numbers were close to zero. And we're looking for a very modest revival. But the challenge is that inflation overall is calming because gasoline prices are down, but underlying inflation, meaning prices away from food and energy, are still very elevated. And what we're hearing from central bankers uh, in Europe, uh, from the ECB, the Bank of England, several other central banks, is that they are going to continue raising interest rates until they feel that there's some progress, significant progress on inflation. So they're not ready to pause. So that poses downside risk to our very modest rebound in growth going forward. Okay. So
1: do you see a recession for euro area?
0: no we don't have a recession for the euro area we we had priced in one and it did happen at the turn of this year and then it was revised away <laughs> but the point is that it felt like a recession because the growth rates were in and around zero and um some economies in in particular germany did see a recession that was you know quite bad for that economy and certainly isn't good for the euro area because Germany is kind of the powerhouse of the European economy and certainly when Germany you know catches the cold other economies are probably sneezing as well. So we already had the the worst of it we believe and again we're going to see a gradual but pretty mediocre revival over the course of the second half of this year and into next year.
1: Okay, so that's Europe. Um, you know, the other huge economy is is in Asia, and that's China, looking weaker and weaker. What's
0: going on there? Sure, there's a lot going on in China. Now, we've always had a very conservative outlook for China for this year, and even for next year. But even that conservatism <laughs> is looking optimistic at this point. Uh, we had a five percent, five point one percent growth rate, but it may undershoot that. Uh, Why? Because China's experiencing a lot of headwinds to growth. So one headwind is a major headwind is the consumer, even though consumption is a much smaller share of China's economy relative to the U S it's more like around 30% or so consumers are still important and consumers have had very low confidence and they're not spending. They're not spending because they are building up precautionary savings because they lost a ton of money in home valuations from the housing crisis in China. So they've lost wealth. And so they're rebuilding that wealth. And they're also not willing to spend, even if you lower interest rates and and even if you gave them dropped money from helicopters, they're not going to spend it because they don't have a, a social safety net. So it's like either you have the money or you don't. There's no one coming to rescue you as a consumer in China. So consumers are not spending. We're also seeing slower exports growth. And that's a big function. A big function of that, or two two reasons for that, are that there's less demand overall in the global economy. So that means fewer exports. And you also have reshoring occurring, where companies are moving their operations out of China and to other economies, either in Asia or closer, near shoring, friendshoring closer to where their headquarters might be. And that's certainly happening in the US. And we're seeing that show up in the manufacturing data, as well as in the construction data. There's a lot of construction for new factories in the US because of this this onshoring, reshoring phenomenon. So that's weighing on exports for China. And then the thing is that there's not going to be a rescue by any particular government. So state and local governments are not going to come to the rescue with big infrastructure projects because they are underwater in massive amounts of debt related back to the housing crisis. And you have millions of homes and projects that have not been finished. And certainly the private sector holders of these projects are defaulting. So there's no one to swoop in To build out infrastructure to support the economy. And the central government is also not looking to lend support with regard to the housing market either other than helping to finish projects that have already been started. And in general, there's a desire by the central government to shift China away from an economy that's focused on supply, meaning building infrastructure and exporting towards an economy that's dependent more on demand, which means consumer spending. But you're missing the main ingredients that you need to get consumers to spend, which is confidence and a safety net, just in case things go wrong. So you put all those things together. And you know we have seen, even today, we've seen more moves by the central bank and local banks to lower interest rates, but you still need the desire or demand to... Invest and spend. And we're just not seeing that in China. So we're looking at a weak scenario, weaker than what we even forecasted for this year, and then even slower growth going forward.
1: Okay. Any other thoughts from, you know, for any of the other areas of the world?
0: One thing that's been really interesting is that last week there was an announcement by the BRICS coalition to expand their membership to. A number of other economies. Now, that's certainly has meaningful implications on the economic front as well as a geopolitical front. On the economic front, it means that you're going to have a bigger organization of economies that are major producers of energy, food, metals, rare earths. So you'll have some of the biggest producers as some of, as well as some of the biggest buyers. So with all of that, with the economic prowess that also can mean political aspirations that may be pursued well there
1: certainly is a lot going on in the world today dana peterson thanks for joining us thank you and thanks to all of you for listening in to ceo perspectives every week i'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time we'll cover the leading topics in economics public policy esg and more Please share CEO Perspectives with your colleagues, with your friends, with every economist you know. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. I'm Steve Odlin, and this series has been brought to you by the Conference Board.